uh, to St. Louis. Right. Oh, yeah. So it would have been on the way there. So you got to go out in the mud and dirt and help them with their tarp <coughs> after you got a virus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you said, yeah. Meg said she saw the arch when she was a young girl. Who? Your teammate, Meg. Oh, yeah. Whom you call Megan. Megan? That one, yeah. I know, you said. <laughs> but I don't do it. I call her Megan. Okay, uh... Did you go on Spotify to check out her music? I did. No, she was like emailing you and she's like, why didn't you respond to me and tell me you was like, I'll, you said I'll check Spotify. And she's like, what a, she doesn't like when people email her back because she's like. She asked me a question. I know, but like, she's, I don't know. She found it weird because it's like, she assumed you do that. So like, why'd you take the extra correspondence? And I'm like, well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> We're very bizarre people. Okay, I, I guess it takes. But like, that's Someone just completely ignore you. Yeah. <laughs> um, interesting. She's weird. I'm weird. Don't you, got, don't you guys like expect responses quickly on emails? Yeah. What? yeah. Well, it, it depends. Well, it took me like a day. Yeah. It's like, can I write a paper on this? Oh, yeah. Email. Like, okay. like a response yeah. like 24 hours. Yeah. Yeah. So... What I said was I had to see whether she could. Yeah. So I responded. She was in a bad mood because she was studying for her, like, fluid mechanics. Yeah, she was studying in class, too. Yeah. She was quite open about it. No, she was like, he called me four times yesterday. Like, just studying. (laughs) Yeah, after a while when people are studying, you you start calling them. Noah, what did you think about Dostoevsky? Can you say the name of the article instead of the... The Gambler by... Dostoevsky. Oh, God, okay. <laughs> I liked it. I'm kind of like, I have so many readings jumping in my head this morning. It was a long morning. I'm sorry. It's already a long morning at 10 a.m.? Yeah, I had to wake up early and do all sorts of different readings for other classes, so I'm kind of doubtful. Okay. <laughs> um. That's not the, that's not the, um, that's, I'm thinking of Noble Hustle right now. Right. I'm not, that's not Noble Hustle. No, Noble Hustle is poker. Yeah. And the gambler's roulette. Okay. Yeah, all right. Yeah, all right. What do you mean what I think? <laughs> well, there you were lost and engrossed in your computer, so... Oh, no, I was just on a latte. Okay. Yeah. For which class? This one. Okay, that's nice. Because um, I, had a, I had a question for everybody else. Okay, the good. reading links that you sent? Yeah. They go to the same... Oh, they do? Yeah. Which ones? I think they both go to the... Um, now we go to another one. You get to another one. How did I get to another one? Wait. No, you just Google it. No, but like I clicked on the link and it probably took the right thing. Maybe you have to clear your cache. So, wait. Uh, why is that funny? I don't know. I think they both go to the second one, the saving the low income There's one called Money is MacGuffin. How did yeah, you find it? I didn't get that one. Well, I've seen it on the syllabus I Googled. Yeah, just, oh, uh, shoot. No, I didn't. Yeah, I, I should. 
Oh, that's really terrible. Wait, so did I just read it without reading the title? So wait, what did you, you read about? Did you just read the same thing twice? That's what I did. You did you read the same thing twice? I love that. Okay, wait. Okay, then you read it. Yeah. But I read this. Okay. Solid. Alright, the really great one to read is the one called Money is MacGuffin. Yeah, I didn't read that one. I only read it. Okay, so you should read that for tomorrow. Is that okay? Yes, good. Yes, no, I'm the teacher. That's okay. You will read it for tomorrow. You can just Google that? No, I will send you a link. Like, even as we speak, I will send you a link. Um... Um, how could that have happened? All right, course news and announcements. Um, it's under reading, right? Yes. So, um, darn, you're right. Um, you are telling the truth all the time. Okay, so I will send it to you. I'll send it to you right now just to make sure that I'm sending it to you right now. And uh, so it's, um, okay, so tell me about the other one. What did you think of the article on lottery as a way of saving? It's actually, it's using some of the insights from Money is MacGuffin and using some of Ainsley's insights in general. Ainsley is, I'll just tell you, um, one of the most important behavioral, he, I guess you would call him a behavioral econo economist, um, but one of the most important behavioral economists of the last half century. And uh, what he figured out about how people respond to short and long-term incentives and to what he calls intertemporal bargaining is really, really, really deep and fantastic thinking. And let me just find it now. Money as Guffin. Except I probably misspelt it. And um, the Ainsley McGuffin, there we go. Dropbox. Oh, stop it. Why isn't this in Dropbox? This is too weird. All right, so move this to Dropbox. Okay, oh, there we go. Copy Dropbox link. Okay, subject money as MacGuffin by Ainsley and link. Okay, I'm just sent. Um, what would you like me to say to you, dear students, comma, what would you like me to say to you? What should I say to you? Tell us a joke. Um, <laughs> Tell us you'll check Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be a real loop for the people who aren't here right now. Okay, now how many Freudians does it take to change a light bulb? How's that? How many what? Freudians. Freudian psychoanalysts. Does it take to change a light bulb? No, I'm going to put the punchline in the, uh, okay. in the email. Oh, great. Or if you're not laughing, it's because you opened it. Okay. It's a what? There's a, there's another joke that Thomas Pynchon tells, which is, how many ghosts does it take to screw in a light bulb? Ghosts, ghosts. How many ghosts does it take to screw in a light bulb? It gets too hot in there.
But don't go snake cold. <sighs> <laughs> okay, you didn't get that one. That's fine. No? <laughs> no? No, no, no. You may have noticed that the first way I asked the joke about the Freudians was how many Freudians does it take to change a light bulb? But the ghost one has to be asked slightly differently. Did you say that? <laughs> oh, class. How many ghosts does it take to screw in a light bulb? Well, they probably can't touch physical things. So none of them. Which means that maybe they could pass through the glass of the light bulb and go inside it. Uh... So they can screw in a light bulb. Except that it's so oh, hot. No. <laughs> because it's so hot in the light bulb, they don't. So do these ghosts prefer orgies or just? I don't know. It's Thomas Pynchon's joke. I, he he makes the joke. I report it. You decide. Can they get smaller? Apparently. Apparently. Back to yeah, class I now. All right. Okay. Um, how do you save money with a lottery? Those of, yeah, those of you who, who read the article twice. <laughs> no, I read the article once. Okay. And I don't know how to answer that question. Yeah. What was the question? How is lottery sa a savings device? So the article that you read, allegedly. I feel like this is supposed to be obvious. If you well, read the article, but I don't know why it's not coming to me. Okay. Command fund. <laughs> lottery. Okay, so. This is lottery savings article. Yeah. yeah that's, I think it was just in the title. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's not. It's actually not in the title. It's the. Oh, did I send you the wrong article here? Oh my god. Because there was stuff about banks. Yeah. 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 Thanks. All right. Okay, so I'm not an idiot. <laughs> yeah, I, I was confused. No, I think it 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 um it does talk about it a little bit, but um I think I sent you the wrong article. I'm really sorry. Uh, I'll send you the right article. But read the Ainsley. Read. The, I'll, I'll just tell you about lotteries and savings devices, and then you can read Money's MacGuffin. You don't need to know. Um, maybe a way to ask this is to ask, is there any way in which roulette can be a way of saving money? If you're the kind of person who, and this is something Ainsley does talk about, if you're the kind of person who um, money burns a hole in your pocket, um, are any of you like that? Like if you have money, you spend it? No, that's good. I think it's it. Um, that's interesting. Any are any of you in like rollover credit card debt? All of you pay your credit cards each month. Um, Emma. Oh, I don't have a credit card. That's even so better. I don't know. Okay. Do you know anyone who owes credit card and is paying interest? My parents. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It, it may be that financial education is actually making a difference to your generation, which is good, because you should never, ever, ever hold credit card debt, um, not pay off your credit card every month, 
because the interest rates you're paying are are ruinous. Um, they they would have once been regarded as usurious. There used to be a limit to how much interest you could charge on credit cards or on any loan in the U.S. And it was it was um, something like five percent in real money, and that is to say inflation plus five percent. Um, credit card companies in the state of Delaware, the Joe Biden state, he was instrumental in making this happen. Um, will charge 30 and 35 percent interest rates, which used to be like what the mafia charged. Um, so credit card debt is um, really not a good thing, and you should you should uh, figure out any other way of borrowing money if you can't pay it all off um, other than credit card debt. Um, so it's good. You guys are good with money, but you play poker. So um, <laughs> are you ahead in your life? Because of poker? Just no, are you just ahead, are you ahead in your poker <laughs> games? Oh, yeah. Yes? Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. So who are the people you're taking money from? Chumps. Chumps. Okay. So, so um, money burns a hole in their pocket. Um, so roulette... Or for anyone who, who, if they have money, they spend it. That's a standard character type. That is, you have some money and you see something that looks like fun, so you buy it. And the fact that you have money, the money does you no good if you're not spending it, so why not spend it? Um, for people like that, um, which is used to be most people, it's really hard to save money. It's that... You should save the money. You should put it in a bank. The reason piggy banks have locks on them, the reason you have to break a piggy bank. Do you guys all know about this? That it used to be the case you get a porcelain piggy bank and you put money, the money goes in, but it's hard to get out. And did you did you guys have piggy banks of that sort? Yeah, it had a rubber stopper on the bottom. Yeah. yeah. So the little kids weren't supposed to know about the rubber stopper. Oh, I thought that was just like a new development. No, it, it, <laughs> no, but sometimes they would lock, or I had a piggy bank that, which had a combination lock. It looked like a, like a um, bank vault bank, and my father knew the combination, but I didn't. Um, so I did the thing that lots of kids of my generation did, which is you turn it upside down and you try to shake money out. Do you ever try to do that? This is just not part of your experience. It's terrible. I mean, yeah, until I figured out the stopper. Oh, okay, so you did figure out the stopper. <laughs> I was... I ate glue as a child. Like, it took me a while. Elmer's? No? Airplane glue? <laughs> oh, no. Elmer's glue. glue. What? Gorilla glue. Oh, same thing as Elmer's. Okay, so the reason it's easy to put money in a piggy bank and hard to get it out is that if you can get it out, you will. So, the, so what you're doing is by putting a coin in a piggy bank is you are... Um, binding yourself to, to a commitment that you otherwise know that you would break. The most famous example of this in literature <laughs> it, and the one that you'll see in many, many um, uh, political uh, economy and game theory and economics articles is Odysseus and the Sirens. Do people know what happens there? The story of Odysseus and the Sirens? Isn't he like, they like have to tie him up? Yeah. That way he go and jump in to sort of, yeah. So the so who are the sirens? Yeah. They're like mermaids, kind of, and they sit on rocks and they sing and they lure all the sailors to their death. 
Yeah, so they, they are actually monsters with beautiful voices. And what they do is their singing is so beautiful that sailors who sail past them want to th- just are, are, are irresistibly drawn towards hearing them, and they then shipwreck and die. Um, so they are an irresistible temptation which um, leads sailors to their deaths. So Odysseus and his men have to get past the sirens. And um, the way to do it is to fill your ears with wax so you don't hear them singing. Because if you do hear them singing, you're sunk, literally and figuratively. Um, it's a sunk cost. <laughs> All right. It's the, so um, Odysseus, as you know, is the trickster hero of Greek literature. And Odysseus wants to hear the Song of the Sirens, even though it's extremely dangerous to hear the Song of the Sirens. So what he does is he gives his sailors the order to fill their ears so that they won't hear the wax, they won't hear the Song of the Sirens because their ears are filled with wax. And he has himself tied to the mast so that he can't move. And before the sailors fill their ears, he gives them the order not to untie him till they're well past where the sirens are, and to pay no attention to him, no matter what he does while he's tied to the mast. So he gives them an order not to obey any order that he gives them in the next little while, which is an interesting order to give. It's a meta order, and it's basically saying, don't pay attention to my orders no matter what they are for the next little while. What do you mean? Um, to the waiter. Yeah, so if I ask for another drink, you've got to say no. <laughs> that kind of thing? Has that ever happened to you? No. No? Waiters give you as many drinks as you want, no matter what? Free refills is like a concept in America that just never grabs. Um, like, what if America itself is upset? What? Uh, well, at any rate, <laughs> be that as it may. So what Odysseus is basically doing, I mean, people do do this all the time. They say, don't let me have more than three drinks, or um, don't, um, if, if you see me going for the dessert, um, throw it out. And so what you're doing is you, if you think about it, is you are um, preventing your own future decision to come into um, into force. So Odysseus knows he's going to change his mind and he um, because he knows that no one can resist the Song of the Sirens, he knows he's going to change his mind and so he tells his men to pay no attention to him when he does change his mind. So the great um, economist, the Nobel, winning, Nobel Prize winning economist um, Thomas Schelling um, calls this a strategy of commitment. And what a strategy of commitment is, is um, when you, either in dealing with your future self or dealing with other people, when you put yourself in a position where they know that you can't back off from the position that you've put yourself in. Trump works really hard on strategies of commitments um, so that when he um, commits himself to something, he is, um, announces that it would be so embarrassing for him to back off 
that even if it looks like it's a crazy thing to do, he's a person who doesn't want to be embarrassed by backing off from a decision that he makes. So um, you can count on him doing it. And that's why when Trump says he's going to do something which it seems like no prudent person would do, um, people worry that Trump is actually going to do it, even if he's t- even if his advisors give him really good reasons not to do it, he'll still do it because he's promised his base he would do it. So that's a standard version of a strategy commitment. Again, another way that it's always described is if you're I, n- I never quite understood this like like as a real thing, but if you're playing chicken, you know, so you know the game of chicken from like Rebel Without a Cause where two cars are heading towards each other and whichever car swerves first loses. So uh, the question is, who's going to swerve first? And uh, um, if you're a really reckless player, you will assume that the other car will swerve first. But if you're playing someone who's really reckless, they'll assume you'll swerve first. So if you have two really reckless players, they'll crash into each other and die. Um, It's a little bit like what's going on in Golden Balls, except death. And... um, so the standard um, description of how, and this is Schelling's, how you do a strategy, uh, how you commit yourself in a situation like that, is you assume the other person is going to turn away from crashing into you. The other person assumes you're going to turn away from crashing into them. Um, so what you do is you throw, so that they can see it, you throw your steering wheel out of the car. So now you can't steer. And so what's happened is you've given up a power of your future self, yourself in three seconds, but still a future self, to swerve. Your your future self can't swerve anymore. And because your future self can't swerve, the driver of the other car knows there's going to be a crash unless she swerves. So you have bound yourself to do something you have taken away your own choice, and that has given you power. If you had the choice, you would have less power. That's actually what, what um, the guy Nick does to, to Abraham. He, it's close to what he does to Abraham when he says, I'm going to steal no matter what. I promise you that I'll steal. Basically, what he's saying is um, the choice in which we avoid disaster Um, I can't avoid disaster anymore because I promise you that I'm going to steal. So I cannot avoid disaster. The only way to avoid disaster, here disaster would be we both lose, the only way to avoid disaster is if you split. Otherwise, we're both going to go down. But if you split, then I'll split after the show and (coughs) we'll both do okay. Um, you weren't here. That, that was your. That was kind of your strategy. But you weren't here when we actually watched that episode of Golden Balls. But that was the um, final episode that we watched. Um, is that one of the players said, "I'm absolutely going to steal," um, and then I'll split the money with you after the show. And the other person said, "Why don't we just both split?" And the first person said, "Nope, I'm going to steal. If you don't split, we both lose." So the other person did split. Um, so. That strategy is what Odysseus does, which is what he basically says is, I am going to make myself powerless by having myself bound to the mast of the ship. Therefore, I cannot do anything. I can't steer the ship. 
Um, I can't um, shake you and tell you the orders that I want you to follow. I can't um, pull the wax out of your ears so that you will hear the sirens. I will be helpless while the sirens are singing. And that will prevent the sirens from doing what they otherwise do, which is seducing the will of the sailors. My helplessness will make me invulnerable to the song because the song will attempt to change my decision, but I am helpless to change my decision. So it's not that the siren's song makes you helpless. It doesn't. The siren's song doesn't make sailors helpless. It makes sailors decide that they want to sail towards the sirens, not helplessly, but intentionally. And so the strategy commitment here is for Odysseus to make himself helpless. Yeah. So is it sort of like self-handicapping? Yes, it is. And, um, but self-handicapping so that you can't do what you would otherwise do. And so before you came in, we were comparing this to putting money in piggy banks. Um, there used to be a website, Smarty Pig, I think it was called, um, where they wouldn't let you take money out um, except after a month. So people would um, deposit money to Smarty Pig, but you didn't have immediate access to your money. And um, that's what was smart about it, was that people um, would save, and then um, instead of thinking a week later, hey, I can just transfer money from that account and get this, um, um, this, this frippery that I want, they actually couldn't do it. And so it was another strategy of commitment. If you can't, um, it's, it's it, retirement funds are the same way. Education funds, 529s are the same way. Um, you have to pay a penalty if you try to take your own money out too early. And the penalty can be a large one. So, so those, are, those are things that commit people to doing things that they want to commit to doing, but that they also know that they'll change their mind which is why they need the commitment. It's because they'll change their mind, and they want now to stop their future self from changing the future self's mind later. So that's what Odysseus does by binding himself to the mast. Now, if you're the kind of person who, um, and this is a, this is a um, fairly common, um, rational thing that people in low socioeconomic brackets do is that you know that there's more smoking and more drinking in low socioeconomic brackets in the United States and, um, and, and more um, buying of drugs and various other things. Um, if you're the kind of person who wants to save money in such a situation, um, what will happen is you'll say something like, the next $10 I get, I'm going to save. I'm not going to spend on cigarettes or on booze, um, but I'm actually going to save it. And then you get $10, and you carry it around for a while because you're going to save it, or you put it in a drawer, or you put it in the cookie jar, um, and you put the cookie jar out of reach. Those are all strategies of commitment. It makes it that much harder to get the money. But only that much harder to get the money. And then you really need a cigarette, so you go get the $10 and you buy a pack of cigarettes. And you didn't want to do it, and you swore to yourself you wouldn't do it, and then you do it. 
And um, it doesn't have to be <coughs> with money, but the reason I'm bringing up money you'll see in a second, but it doesn't have to be with money. It can be um, that you um, want to quit smoking, so um, you put your cigarettes in the garage or in the car so that they're harder to get. Um, you want to cut down on smoking, so you put your cigarettes in a place where they're harder to get. Or you want to quit smoking, so you throw your cigarettes into the trash. Um, now they're harder to get, and that may help, but they may not be sufficiently harder to get that you won't go through the trash when you really want a cigarette and get them out. So what's the best way of quitting smoking? It's not to have cigarettes in the house at all. There were, um, I think it might have been Weight Watchers. There was some, it was some uh, lose weight program that was actually funded by the sugar industry. And they um, claimed, or they funded studies that um, allegedly showed that people felt really good about exercising their willpower and um, that was a really good way to lose weight is by exercising your own willpower. And so what they allegedly showed was um, that, if you, that if you wanted to lose weight, you should buy some candy and cookies and put it in your, um, in your kitchen in a cabinet. And then every time you didn't have any candy or cookies, you would feel so good about yourself that you would just say, look how strong my will is. I'm not having these candies and cookies, which are right there beckoning me with their sweetness and deliciousness. And I'm not drinking any of that soda that I bought because it was so good. And then what happens two hours later? You can't do anything drink the soda. Yeah. It's like a lot easier to lose weight if there aren't candy and cookies and soda in the house than if there are. But the sugar industry or whatever industry it was funded studies which said this is the way to do it, is to have constant temptation. So the idea is to remove temptation. And the reason we remove temptation from ourselves is because we know that future self won't resist that temptation. So present self is preventing future self from doing what present self knows that future self will want to do. And um, so we can't just say, no, I'm not going to do it. Um, because the I in the future is going to say, no, no, you know what, I am going to do it. Okay, so saving money is particularly hard because you don't want to not have money. The whole point about saving money is, is that money is something that it's good to have so that you can buy something important like a car or a house when you get enough money to do it. So the way a lot of poor communities have figured out to save money and, and it's, it's a really interesting thing to do, is actually through lotteries. And the idea there is that when you play a numbers game, so do people know what numbers games are? They're essentially what lotteries uh, took over from, but uh, do people know? Has anyone read Invisible Man, for example, uh, the Ralph Ellison novel? Uh, you should. It's totally great. If it were more about money, we would do it. Um, 600 pages long, we could do it. It's a little bit about money. Yes? No? Look at all that enthusiasm. For Thursday? Like tomorrow? No? Okay, read Invisible Man. It's so damn good. Um, there's an amazing uh, numbers racket towards the end of Invisible Man. But the way numbers work is numbers are a lottery. 
And what happens is um, you play the numbers every day. You give a dollar or five dollars or whatever to a numbers runner. Is this all familiar to people? Should I? <coughs> do you need this explanation? So. If you buy a lottery ticket at the um, South Street Market or whatever it's called, um, as people do in their thousands, um, what you're doing is doing a legal version of what used to be illegal and still is illegal um, and that occurred on much smaller scales in, in mainly in poor communities, not only in poor communities, but mainly in poor communities. So what you would do is um, people would go from house to house. They were called numbers runners. And the people in the house would bet on a three-digit number. And that three-digit number, um, so how many three-digit numbers are there? Quick. <laughs> it is early in the morning. Okay, let's see. <laughs> if you include zeros and you can have leading zeros, how many are there? No, there are a thousand. Zero, zero, zero through nine, nine, nine. Three digit numbers. That makes so much sense. Okay. <laughs> you should play poker with her. Um, all right, so three digit number. So you bet on a three-digit number. You can pick your number um, as long as not everyone's picking the same number because that can be a disaster for um, the house. So you pick a number, you pick a three-digit number, and you bet on it, and you bet a dollar. And if your three-digit number comes up, you get $600 as um, the payoff. And lots of people bet their birthdays if they have three-digit birthdays, which I do. Some people have four digits, some people have three. Lots of people bet... Um, how many people would have three did uh, this this would be a good question. How many people would have three digit birthdays? Anyone born from January to September would certainly have a three digit birthday. And anyone born in the first nine days of October, November, and December would have a three digit birthday. Right? How many people here have three digit birthdays? Okay, that really? You guys all have four digit birthdays? What's your birthday? Yeah, okay. How many people have four-digit birthdays? Counting like zero. Zero, not a not a leading zero. Trail. If you're if you're born on the tenth, you have a four-digit birthday. Sorry. I mean, if you're born on November tenth, that would be four digits. Yeah. Uh, November fifth. Yes, that's eleven five three digits. Okay. So most people have three-digit birthdays. So you might you might um, bet on November on eleven five as your number. You might bet on one one five. Okay. So. Three digits, um, and then the number turns out to be some agreed-upon but random number that will appear in the newspaper. So the number will be something like um, the last three digits of, a phone, of the first phone number in the classified ads in tomorrow's newspaper. So... Um, you know, someone will say, um, I, have a, I have a used wetsuit for sale, it's pretty damp, it's cheap, call me at 642-9332, and then what's the number that wins? No, 332, but it doesn't matter. It could be, just, so it's, some, it's, a pub, it's a published public number, so that the house, the numbers, rackets can't, mess with the number because it's going to be um, published. You can find it anywhere. The lottery version of this is when you see the lottery ping pong balls being picked. 
um, every night. You can see what the winning numbers are because they're being picked randomly. So it's a way of publishing a number and then people know if they've won or lost. So how is this a way of saving money? If you're getting a $600 payoff that you can expect, what's your expected return on betting a dollar on a three-digit number where the payoff, if you get it right, is $600? <coughs> yeah, your expected return is 0.6 of what you put in. Um, that is, you would expect to win one time in 1,000 because it's three digits. Um, which means that you spend $1,000 and you win the one time in 1000 you get $600 back. Um, so you would expect to lose $400 um, total when, um, when you've won, you're, you will ex expect to have lost by then a total of $400. So how is that savings? How do numbers count as a savings device? Because they do. And this is what's really interesting. Yeah, because you would have dribbled away the thousand over the course of the three years. You would have bought a candy bar here, and you would have um, um, a donut there, and you would have had a um, you would have gone to Starbucks for a latte instead of going to Dunkin' and saving money. Um, because Duncan was across the street and you didn't want to wait to cross the street. And you wouldn't have any more money if you hadn't played the numbers. You would have had slightly more convenience over the last three years um, because you wouldn't have crossed the street to Duncan and um, you would have had a candy bar which you otherwise wouldn't have, had, wouldn't have gotten. But you wouldn't feel like that $1,000 was well spent at the end of three years. However, at the end of three years, you would one day have a windfall. You wouldn't know when or how. I mean, you wouldn't be able to predict when in the future, but you would one day have a windfall of $600. So you spend a dollar a day, and after a while, that adds up to $600. What while? You don't know. It could be tomorrow. Hey, you never know, as the slogan goes. It could be tomorrow. It could be in four years. But you, by playing the numbers every day, even though it is economically a loser and there's a better way of saving money, people can't save money. Our psychology is such that we can't save money, or it's very hard to save money, the better way of saving money. And so instead... People save money by outsourcing the money that they are hoping to get, knowing that one day they will get it. And they will get it when their number comes up. And they'll get, on average, a whole lot less than they put in, but they'll get it all at once. And getting it all at once means that they'll have a pile of money that they never had before. They could have piled it up themselves, but nobody does. Everyone <coughs> is seduced by the siren song of the Mars bar that they could buy or the um, blue packaged M&Ms that they could buy 
or uh, maybe the Reese's Pieces because they've spent a little bit of money on um, looking at ET, watching ET. So numbers rackets are actually rational if you understand how your own psychology and how all human psychology works, which is that it's very, very hard to treat your future self as the equivalent of your present self. Why is it so hard to teach your future self as the equivalent of your present self? Because if you did, you would spend every single second of your life terrified about death because your future self is going to be dead forever. And so, what, so psychologically what we do is we regard the present as much more, how shall I put it, present to us. That's why they call it the present. Because it's much more important to us than the future. Doesn't mean the future is of no importance. Of course it is. However, it is far less important than it should be if we're thinking like a bank, if we're thinking rationally. So this is called, and this is what Ainsley figured out, and he figured this out that it's not only true for humans, um, it's true for all mammals and possibly for, and for, for uh, many birds and possibly for reptiles and other creatures. Um, Ainsley is, he's, he's a psychiatrist, he works on addiction, so obviously he's interested in these matters because addiction means precisely that you are um, taking a substance or engaging in a behavior that you know is bad for you and that you wish you weren't. That is, if you're an addict, as opposed to if you just enjoy it. Um, great line from uh, the American poet Frank O'Hara. Um, we don't need liquor, we just like it. Um, which is a way of lying to yourself. But if you, if you recognize that you're an addict, um, there's a wonderful Onion article a few years ago. It was an opinion piece. And it was uh, the guy writing the opinion piece said, I'm just like a chocoholic but for booze. <laughs> and um, he writes about how, how funny and quirky he is, that you know, people will come into my office and they'll know that, I have, that I'll have a, four or five bottles of booze stashed in a, in a desk drawer just in case I want a little booze while I'm on the job. Um, and sometimes, you know, instead of having a good healthy lunch, I'll drink a bottle of booze. That's the kind of guy I am. So um, a chocoholic for booze is an addict. And if you recognize yourself as an addict, that recognition means almost always what it means is you wish you weren't. And so you wish you didn't want to want what you want. That's what it means to be an addict of any sort. That's what Odysseus is doing. He wants not to want what he knows he will want once he hears the sirens. He wants not to want what he will want. So if you're an addict, you want not to want what you do want. There's an amazing um, OxyContin story that I heard about someone who OD'd five times on the same day. And he desperately didn't want to be, I mean, he was, he was basically brought back from death five times on a single day. Um, he desperately didn't want to be an addict. Um, but even almost dying 
and then almost dying again, 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 he couldn't stop. So he really didn't want to want what he really desperately wanted. He had, um, he did not want the cravings that he had. So Ainsley, this guy George Ainsley, works on addiction. He's a psychiatrist, and his specialty is addiction. Um, but he started out as a um, someone who was studying animal behavior. And what he figured out was that um, is something that's called hyperbolic discounting. So do people know what discounting means? If we talk about discounting, I think we talked about it a little bit earlier this semester. So if you... Um, If someone offers you $100 a year from now or $99 today, or let's say $100 today or $101 a year from now, um, which is it better for you to take? 100 today. $100 today because you could put it in the bank and you could get a 3% um, guaranteed 3% pay payoff and you'd have 103 a year from now. Um, so it's so um, if you if you put it the other way, if you say what about the money a year from now, you would say one hundred three dollars a year from now discounts to one hundred dollars now. It's when, like when we talked about savings bonds, a hundred dollar savings <laughs> bond um, that comes due in five years, you might be able to buy for eighty dollars now, and what that means is that it's a discount of twenty percent over five years. And if you discount year by year, let's say that you pay, um, uh, you get something that's worth $100 in five years, it may be worth $90 in four years and $81 in three years and $72 in two years and $63 in one year and cost $54 today. Then you're discounting the same percentage year by year by year. Um, and that is called exponential discounting. It's the same thing as compound interest, except you're not looking, you're not saying how much more something will be worth, you're saying how much less you would pay for it now. But it's just the reverse, um, just looking at compound interest in the other direction. Okay, does that make sense to everyone? Do I hear a loud yes? That makes sense. Good. All right. So, what Ainsley figured out is um, exponential discounting, that's a standard um, way of thinking about the value of future money, is that if it's coming in the future, you discount for the fact that you have to wait for it. That's the really important thing. Things that come in the future are worth less in the present than things that come in the present. And that's always true. Um, that's what lending money is about. If you lend someone $100, the reason... And the legitimate um, argument for taking interest is that you have $100 now, but if you lend it to someone else, suddenly it's a future $100 that you have, not a present $100. So I lend you $100 for a year. That means that I had $100, and now I don't for a year. So that $100 is future 100 which is worth less to me than present 100 And you should make up for it by 
by um, paying me back $105 so that my present $100 is equivalent to future $105. And now I have a future $105 there in your pocket, and um, that's the equivalent to me of present $100. Okay, so that's how banks think. That's how credit card companies think. That's how all financial, um, uh, all, all financing companies think. However, we think, and pigeons think, and um, um, monkeys think, and dogs think differently. And the way we all think is, and let me just ask you this. Now, think of this as real money. Don't think of it as what's, this, what's the right thing to do. But think of what you would really, really, really do. If someone offered you, like right now, if Brandeis could fund this, I would do it, but they don't, and I won't. Um, but if someone offered you right now $100, if I offered you $100 right now, you could leave class with $100. All of you could have $100. Or you could wait a week, and I'll give you $105 if you wait a week. What would you do? $100 now, $105 in a week. Yeah, would anyone wait for the extra five? I mean, it all depends on if I just already have $1,000 in my pocket. Like, all right, I'll double the amount of money that you have in your pocket, or I'll double it plus add $5 a week from now. Wait, so are you doubling it by how much money I have in my pocket a week from now or right now? No, how much money you have in your pocket right now? Because I'm pretty big. All right, at least, on, okay, then, guys, just <laughs> pretend you have no money and that $100 would be sweet, but $105 would be sweeter. Okay? So you have no money, $100 would be sweet, $105 would be sweeter. Do you take the 100 now? Do you take the 105 from <coughs> Wait, how many take the 100 now? And then, <laughs> and then, um, <laughs> the Bitcoin um, um, entrepreneur and the poker player are, are, are have the willpower to wait a week for the hundred five. So this is pretty typical. It's usually ninety percent of people. And did, what would you? What did you say, Nicole? Wait. You'd, you'd wait a week too. Um, and what are you going to go into for your life after you graduate? What's your plan? Big question. Uh, something for psychology. Huh. Okay. So you figured the psychology out. Good. Okay. Um, so base 90% of people um, actually given this choice with real money will take the $100 right away. If it were real money, would you still wait a week? Like if I had $100 in my hand and we're offering it to you, yeah. and you'd still wait a week. Yes. All right, I applaud you. I mean, but doesn't it depend on circumstance? Yeah. Like I'm going to New York City this weekend, so like that'll buy me like maybe like half a meal. <laughs> so... Or you could wait a week to go to New York. How would that be? That because of the softball team, I know. Yeah. So it's like I don't know. Because of course, if it depends I'm on sitting on campus for like the next week. Yeah. I just buy. So cancel all that out. So just make it that something is worth a hundred dollars to you now, or worth a hundred five dollars to you next okay. week. Okay, if you think about it, it's obvious you should wait a week and, and your future self will, will thank you because you'll have this extra $5. And I don't think my future self would care that I had five more dollars. Uh-huh. 
like I would, in my mind, $100 and $105 are the same amount of money. Okay, so here. Oh, that's interesting. Wait, so can I borrow $105 from you? Wait, can I borrow 105 from you? If I had a spare 100 I would I would be willing to give up that 5 So you would lend me $105 for a week, and I could pay you 100 back, and you'd be happy? If you... Would yeah. you all do that? Yeah, if you needed no. 105 and I had 100 to, like that I didn't need, uh -huh. I would be willing to... And I, like, we had this relationship where I knew you... Needed, where I was, I'd like, teacher, and you were yeah. a student and cared about your grade. Yeah. Five. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, so, so here's a second thought experiment now. Um, a year from now, 52 weeks from now, I'll give you $100. You can choose between that, that 52 weeks from today, I will give you $100. Or 53 weeks from today, I'll give you $105. What do you pick? 53. Yeah, almost everyone picks the 53. Okay, now... On one immediate intuitive level, it makes sense because one week out of 52 is um, a whole lot less than $5 out of $100. One's 5 over 100 and one is 1 over 52. So if you look at it pers perspectively, of course you'd wait another week for that much more money. Um, but on the other hand, what you are saying to future you is 52 weeks from now... It's okay. Uh, 52 weeks from now, future you is going to say, gosh darn it, or as Cartman says, god damn it, I could have had $100 today, but now I have to wait another week for $105. So future you in 52 weeks will be exactly in the position that present you has said no to. Present you wants the $100, as long as present you aren't these three people. Present you wants the $100, and doesn't want to wait a week, and present you a year from now will say, I could have had $100 today, but now I have to wait another week. And so you are treating future you differently from present you, even knowing that that will become present you. This is a universal among mammals and probably among birds. That's what Ainsley figured out. It's called hyperbolic discounting, which is you discount the future too much when there's a near-term reward, a very near-term reward offered to you. So how do you save money? By playing the lottery? We'll talk about that tomorrow. But read, read Money is McGuffin. Sorry, go ahead. Well, well, yeah, most of the time you don't get, you, you don't eat the cake, but you lose weight. Um, that's a really good one. I, mean, it's like, I think that's why it captures the light. Yeah, it actually does. Yeah, that's right. No, I think that's true. Hi. All right.